Matt Mosley Show on a Monday. Thank you, Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram for all you do. I got that Grand Cherokee right now, Laredo, running really well, right purring right up and down the road. Chris Hummer uh, is uh, joining us now for 24-7 Sports. And, Chris, good to uh, good to have you back on the program. And I, I thought about you. I saw you uh, spend a little time, a little Q&A with Coach Dave Aranda, a man who in the offseason – does not like to do a lot of media, so good for you for tracking Dave down. I mean, the man's usually holed up, devising all sorts of uh, blitzes, creepers, all of that. Chris, is that when you sit down and do a, a visit with Dave, do you feel like you uh, you learn a lot and uh, and and have a little? When you come away from those things, do you feel like you you have a little? Uh, uh, kind of like a uh, a master's degree in in defense. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'll speak for anybody's media perspective. When you interview Dave Aranda, you get a different sort of answer than you would from any other coach. Most coaches, I mean, from every, really from every perspective, he's an open book compared to other coaches. But particularly from a scheme standpoint. Most coaches, if you ask them a question about scheme, will give you nothing, like literally nothing. Dave Aranda will dive as deep into it as you want, it feels like. Maybe not about the specifics of what Baylor's running against the team it's playing that weekend, but like I asked him about creeper defenses, um, and he went into it a little bit, which is what Baylor runs and what Georgia ran so well in its run of the national championship, and he dove right in. So, yeah, I feel like I get smarter every time I talk to Dave Aranda. Yeah, uh, it's he's kind of a remarkable guy in that respect, and it's it's funny because I don't think he loves doing media, but he he's actually really good at it, and um, um, and so it's it's an interesting uh, uh, thing going for him. I I thought this was interesting what he said about uh, Gary Bohannon, and you uh, you you brought it up and and you you know this is after you kind of talked about shaping and what shaping brings but a lot of people kind of thought about Dave Aranda could have waited and 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 you know maybe uh, uh but he he wanted to make a very quick decision for whoever lost the quarterback battle and in this case it ended up being Gary Bohannon and I thought the and, and you brought it up with him and I I I think the um answer he gave is revealing and it just shows how much sort of compassion and empathy and he talks about it but it, it really is nice to see it in practice chris you you've been doing this for a while now is this this is pretty rare isn't it in terms of how uh dave aranda chose to handle this announcement and 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 sort of even giving his reasoning behind it yeah i mean i think you see a lot of coaches talk about empathy and doing the right thing with their players, um, but maybe it doesn't actually occur in practice um, because ultimately this is a business and they're looking at their bottom line, and especially with quarterbacks in this era, you're trying to protect your room as much as you can. And and this case, Dave Aranda said nothing. I, I don't believe he said during spring ball at some point that he would try to do right by his quarterbacks. He just went ahead and did it. He didn't announce it. Um, the only reason we even knew um, this situation occurred is because it was reported through the media. I believe second 365 had the scoop that Shapin would start. And then the next day, Gary Bohannon was in the portal because Dave Aranda gave him a heads up. 
And it's just a really rare thing in college football. Um, coaches often protect themselves ahead of their players. And in this case, Dave Aranda backed up exactly what he says all the time about how he runs his program. And I, I think the decision speaks volumes about the type of person Dave Aranda is for sure. Talking to Chris Hummer from 24-7 Sports about a uh, story he did in talking to Dave Aranda. Um, I thought it was interesting what he said about shaping in maturity. Uh, he thinks leadership-wise he's going to be able to kind of elevate some of the uh, skill players. I mean, I this this team is stacked in some areas on the O-line, the defensive line. You alluded to it. But seemingly inexperienced and thin at, at wide receiver. Uh, I thought that was interesting what he said about shaping. It, it seemingly this guy has the – the ability to lift these people around him. He also talked about the need to run the ball to throw it instead of what they were doing last year, throw it to be able to run it. And, um, and I, I get the feeling reading this that, that he, you know, his, his determination and belief in this O line now is, Hey, we are going to run it no matter what you try to line up. And then we'll throw off of that. Um, what, what, what was your, what is that kind of what your takeaway was and, and what do you think this is going to look like? Because you have a, you have a really talented quarterback, but it sounds like they're going to use the pass off of the run and that'll make that, that seems to be where Dave is going to be more comfortable. Yeah, I thought it was, I actually thought it was pretty interesting because Baylor, I mean, obviously just watching them last year, they were one of the better rushing attacks in college football. I think they're a top 10 unit in terms of yards per rush. Um, at times, I felt like that was the only effective part of the offense, especially when things got difficult. But it, it sounded like to me it was a challenge to the offensive line more than anything. He was saying last year they were having uh, essentially throw to run, so they were trying to get this defense out of alignment. They were trying to take a player out of the box so they could run the ball and establish that until all that part of the game plan to blossom. I kind of thought with all the experience back in the offensive line and some of the success, we at least saw statistically running the ball last year. He would look at that as a dominant unit heading into 2022. At least the impression I got, and, and I could be very wrong, is he was challenging that unit to lead the offense and kind of shepherd along some of the younger pieces, including, like, to an extent, Blake Shapin. And I realize Blake has been in some really big situations in his career, including starting the Big 12 championship game last year. But it, it seemed to me like he was almost like issuing a challenge, like this unit's bringing back more than 8,000 career snaps. It's a ton. Like, this is a unit that should propel the team forward. This is how I'm seeing it. Yeah, I, 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 you know, talk, looking at some of the things he talked about, I, I also think what's remarkable about him is how, like, introspective he can be. In, in, introspective. Like, I, he, he admits to being a – what did he call it? Kind of a machine when he was at LSU, more of like the scientist. This guy really liked being out of the limelight. And one of the things he's loved about Baylor is I, I think it gave him a chance. And Chris, I may, you know, you may have a different opinion, but to to kind of come into the limelight, but not at some monstrous place like LSU that can like eat you alive. Um, you can win a national title and be gone two seasons later. Um, same as some of these other opportunities. I mean, I, 
it, it, he seems to be the rare coach that doesn't have that ego that when some of these jobs came open, whether it be LSU or Oklahoma or wherever, that it, I, I, I think Baylor fans were rightly concerned about all those jobs opening up. But maybe they shouldn't have been because this guy is – I just don't think he was wired to like be striving for those kinds of jobs. Like I, I think in some ways this Baylor situation he sees as a great fit, and this was well before they decided to lock him up. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Just, and I mean, he was a popular name in the coaching cycle, as, as y'all know, just like being in Waco. Like he was brought up for the LSU job, like his name was like thrown around as a possibility some, for some West coast jobs. Um, USC. Yeah. Uh, USC. Sure. And like, yeah. If UCLA had come open, like you would have definitely heard his name mentioned there too. And I, I think, I think you're spot on just like ta- talking to people around coaching, talking to athletic directors and agents. Like I think Dave Aranda is like just very self-aware of where he fits, like culturally, like his personality, where he fits. I don't know, as you said, if the best position for him would be with his personality would be being in front of a fan base like an LSU that is very intense, needs their head coach to be very responsive. You have to put out a lot of fires. You have to deal with a lot of things outside of your bubble. Whereas Baylor, as we've seen recently, I think three top 10 finishes in the college football playoff era um, gives you the opportunity to compete but also comes with a bit of a more insulated feel. Um, part of that's the town size of Waco. Part of that's just the situation of where they're at, the size of the alumni base, what have you. Like, it's an excellent situation in terms of investment in the athletic department and the opportunity to win, but it maybe doesn't come with some of the responsibilities and pressures of other places. So I, I'm in totally agreement with that. I think from that perspective, it fits Dave Aranda and his personality perfectly. Chris Hummer, uh, 24-7, joining us on the Matt Mosley Show, ESP in Central Texas. Chris, uh, as these new schools get set to arrive next year and, and Oklahoma and Texas get ready to go, when, when we talk about sort of the power vacuum of the conference and just dealing with football here, is Baylor in as good a position as any of these schools, or do you give, like, OSU, Texas Tech, or any of the, you know, just the fact that the state schools maybe you know, maybe a little more money. How do you, um, how do you kind of break it down when you start considering who's going to kind of take over and who has the chance to kind of be the dominant uh, force in this conference? Where do you, where do you see Baylor in that mix? Yeah, if we just, I mean, if we just take a surface level measurement, so I'm not including a different era of college football um, where NIL payments are going out of the wazoo or like players are straight up getting paid. I'm just, I'm going to take this from a surface level perspective of the infrastructure in place, a commitment to winning and the ability to recruit. I think Baylor's in as good a shape as anybody. I think like, I think the big Metroplex schools, like the TCUs, the Houston, I mean, Metroplex in terms of city sizes are in excellent shape. So TCU, Houston, I think UCF is going to be really good, but maybe geographically they don't fit the league quite as well. Um, I think Texas Tech with Joey McGuire there has a chance because of the way Joey McGuire is going to recruit. But Baylor, given the recent success it's had, given that they have a head coach in place who's proven he can be there long-term, Mac Rhodes has proven to be one of the best athletic directors in the country without much question. 
I think Linda Livingstone has shown a commitment to athletics as well, um, both in terms of the investment. So when you consider all of those factors and the fact that Baylor's already proven it can win, I think I think it's definitely in position to win titles when the shift happens. I, I don't know who the dominant team is going to be, but I feel very comfortable saying Baylor will definitely be in the mix to be one of the better teams moving the year in and year out, as long as Dave Aranda is likely still there. And they're recruiting. I think the recruiting does need to pick up a little bit. I think Baylor has been in the 30s or so. It has a higher ceiling than that. And part of that's just some of the targets Dave Aranda does long-term with projections. But if that recruiting continue to tick up a little bit, I think Baylor's in excellent shape. Well, part of it's the collective with these schools. Like, how much money are they going to spend on each of these classes? I mean, Ohio State's Ohio State even before the money came in. And then they got their coach saying, we got to basically come up with $13 million a year in NIL money, I think is what he said recently. So uh, you're, you're right to bring up the NIL because it's not a perfect level playing field. Never was, but it's even less so now. And so it's kind of fascinating. Um, tell me where um, you think Arch Manning is going to end up. You had a great feel, and you were breaking a lot of this news on the uh, on the Quinn Ewers situation. And so I I feel like you've been monitoring this uh, Arch Manning situation pretty closely too. When all is said and done, um, and and I know he was taking some visits here recently. Where do you think Georgia, Texas? Where does he where does he actually end up? Yeah, I, I will say like um, Arch Manning isn't hasn't really been my beat. So like my speculation would be more speculation than anything else. Um, I will say just kind of the industry buzz is probably Texas or Georgia. Alabama already has a 2023 take at quarterback in this class. Like I don't think Arch Manning would be scared of another quarterback in a single class, but you don't see top high tier quarterbacks go to the same school. So Texas and Georgia are kind of the schools I've been hearing a lot for them. I will say Arch Manning's high school teammate, he's a tight end in 2023, just committed to Texas over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe Arch and his teammate were on campus at the same time. Um, I think we are approaching a decision for Arch pretty quickly. Um, I think it could come very soon. As for which of those two schools it'll be, I I honestly don't know. I think I've heard a lot of buzz both directions and a lot of good reasons both directions. I think those are the two schools in the driver's seat right now. I just, I would I would be lying if I said I knew exactly where it was going to go, though. Yeah, don't apologize for speculation ever when you're on talk radio, okay? That's not uh, – all right, we hold you to a different standard than maybe some of your editors over there at 24-7 do. So uh, – but, but no, I – you know, you, you follow this stuff closely. And I, I, I did love that note today also that you had about uh, 2021-22 – you, you have some uh, uh, portal numbers that you put out there. Uh, for the first time, uh, cleared 3,000 FBS entries in the transfer portal for, the, and, um, for, the, for that cycle, 2021-22. And as you said, with the new scholarship, the classes of each year, which used to have 25 limits, with that uh, going away, then you don't see this coming to a change. Would would doing these windows, whatever they're talking about with the transfer portal, would that curb any of the portal activity at all? Or is it still going to be the same total amount? It's just going to be structured a bit differently. 
I think it would curve it a little bit because I think a lot of times we see players just make rash decisions like on a whim because right now there's really no limit to a player entering. Um, he could get annoyed or he could just decide on a whim to go to compliance and ask for their, his name to be entered and they enter it because it's just the rules. The windows I do think would take away some of that, but I still think we're trending towards record numbers next year, even if we have windows. With schools able to sign as many players as they want, there is more of a need in the transfer portal. And I think what we're also going to see is a lot of schools run players off to create more spots to improve their roster. That's just kind of the reality of what we're going to see. I had one Power 5 uh, director of player personnel a couple of weeks ago tell me he thought we could get to 5,000 next year potentially. We're going to see that many more because of these rule changes. Whoa. I don't know if it's going to be that extreme, but we're going to see a ton of players in the portal either way. It's just um, it's the new reality of college football. 5,000. In next, you're talking about in the 2022-23 cycle, perhaps one one division one. That's amazing. That is uh, remarkable. Chris, good to uh, good to visit with you, and uh, we will catch up with you uh, soon. And if you uh, if you decide to break any news on any of these big uh, decisions, recruiting, you know, just tip us off first, okay? Absolutely, Matt. I will be the. I will let you know before anything breaks on that front for sure. <laughs> okay. All right. There he goes, Chris Hummer. Uh, 24-7, and uh, he's all over this portal and a lot of the recruiting and had a, had a nice uh, Q&A with Dave Aranda where Dave really uh, shed some light on everything uh, kind of going on uh, with, with him and his personality and really interesting stuff. All right, Campus Confidential.